Welcome to Poptopia. Welcome to Poptopia, your podcast for all things pop culture. I'm your host, Paul French, and it is Friday, March 9th, 2007. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about people who are still dead. Springfield vying for the Simpsons premiere. Eddie Van Halen goes to rehab, and we'll talk about some movie stuff. Okay, so uh, let's let's get a couple out of the way. Eddie Van Halen checking into rehab. He says on his website in a statement, At the moment, I do not feel that I can give you my best. I wish he'd thought of that before they did the uh, Van Hagar uh, reunion a few years ago, because Eddie definitely did not give his best. Anyway, it's not known whether or not he will be attending the band's induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on Monday in New York during a ceremony. Um, actually... Those are pretty much the details at the moment. I do not feel I can give you my best. Um, I'd mentioned a few weeks back that they were looking at doing a reunion tour with David Lee Roth, uh, but that has been postponed indefinitely, and with this announcement, it comes as no surprise. He says, I've decided to enter a rehabilitation facility to work on myself so that in the future I can, give her, I can deliver the 110% that I feel I owe you and want to give you. So there we have it. Um, yeah, good luck with that, Eddie. Uh, I, I got to admit, as a huge Van Halen fan growing up, uh, I was a little put off when I did go to see that Van Hagar reunion. And for a guy who just finished treatment for uh, for tongue cancer, to uh, have a burning cigarette still hanging in the guitar headstock was just, you got to be kidding me. In other news, the city of Springfield, well, rather, the cities of Springfield are all vying for the honor of hosting the Simpsons movie premiere in July. Uh, Fox has asked 16 Springfields from Oregon to Massachusetts to participate in a short film contest, which will basically have them reviewing short film entries that showcase the com- community's positive aspects and links to the Simpsons who live in their own fictional Springfield. Um, of course, uh, The Simpsons is now in its 18th season and still going strong, and now they've got the movie coming out. Um, so Springfield, Oregon Mayor uh, Sid Lichen told the Register Guard newspaper that there are plenty of serious issues to talk about, but this is something that we might as well try and have a little fun with. Um, Newsweek once actually called The Simpsons Springfield America's Crud Bucket. Not quite an honor you want to be fighting for, and maybe not the thing you want to put on the sign, but saying home of the Simpsons, that's a whole different thing. Uh, Matt Groening, the creator of the Simpsons, has said that he chose Springfield because it's one of the more common city names in the United States, and any fan of the show will know that they get into a lot of the, uh, call the state that Springfield's in. They've never actually said which one it is, and I hope that they don't go down that route and, you know, reveal it, because that would, you know. Anyway. Stop the presses, he's still dead. The Big Bopper, yeah, he died what, like 60 years ago? Or or almost 60 years ago, 58 years ago. Um, In the February 3rd, 1959 plane crash that also took the lives of Buddy Holly and Richie Valens, an autopsy finally put rumors to rest. The Big Bopper, uh, J.P. Richardson, suffered massive fractures and likely died immediately in the 1959 plane crash that also killed early rock and rollers Buddy Holly and Richie Valens. Um, and this was uh, what a, a, a forensic anthropologist said on Tuesday after exhuming the body. The performer's son, Jay Richardson, had hired uh, Bill Bass, who's a well-known forensic anthropologist at the University of Tennessee, to look at the remains in Beaumont, Texas. 
There have been rumors that a gun might have been fired on board the plane and that the Big Bopper might have survived the crash and died trying to get help. And I guess for, you know, 58 years, this has sort of played on the mind of his son and he finally wanted answers. Uh, but Bass said that there's no indication of foul play. There are fractures from head to toe, massive fractures. He died immediately. He didn't crawl away and he didn't walk away from the plane. The Rock and Roll Stars plane crashed after taking off from Mason City, Iowa on February 3rd, 1959. And of course, this is memorialized as the day the music died in the song American Pie. Uh, Jay Richards uh, performs tribute shows as the Big Bopper Jr. and never knew his father, who uh, actually, um, everyone will remember the song Chantilly Lace. But uh, his mother was actually pregnant with him when his father died. So you can see where this would have kind of played on his mind for for all this time. And... uh, and I think actually my calculations are off. It's 48 years ago, not 58 years ago. Um, anyway, so uh, Richardson watched Bass open the coffin on Tuesday and observed uh, and observed his examination, saying that he was pleased with the findings because it proves that the investigators knew what they were talking about 48 years ago. I was hoping to put the rumors to rest, he said. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I, I was a pretty big fan of all these guys, and... Uh, and I remember reading a lot about it. I don't ever remember there being any speculation. It was basically the plane crashed, they died. But uh, I guess there were some rumors out there. So, yes, the Big Bopper is still dead. Someone else who's still dead, Steve Rogers, Captain America. On Wednesday, Marvel Comics released Captain America issue number 25. And um, in this, they uh, they killed off well-known icon and... Uh, the guy, the leader, leader of the quote-unquote losing side in Marvel's recent Civil War, and uh, to to say that the news media spoiled the event, well, uh, they gave away that key plot point. But the fact is, there's much more to the story, and this is really just the inciting incident in in a much longer story. Um, Marvel editor in chief Joe Casada said that uh, basically he found that uh, Cap was kind of living. Uh, he he wasn't really in his own time anymore and wasn't really keeping up with modern times. I really hope that's not the reason they killed him off because uh, it just gets ridiculous. Uh, Civil War did a lot of commentary on sort of the politics and uh, and the idea of civil liberties. They were talking about a superhuman registration act. And uh, so there was a lot of sort of political commentary sort of running under the current there. And uh, and I wonder if they're really trying to do the same here with the, uh, with the death of uh, Captain America. And... Um, Anyway, I have faith in the writer, Ed Brubaker, and uh, faith in sort of seeing where he's going to take it. But uh, certainly a big event that, uh, you know, uh, really caused a rush on a lot of comic stores with people looking to pick up the issue and certainly copies of the uh, of the various variant covers for Captain America 25 were going for outrageous amounts uh, on eBay. So there you have it. Captain America, dead at, uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to try adding up ages from 1939 because we already saw what I did with 1959. Oh, so I can say it's around 68 years, although maybe it's 41. So, you know, best left alone. Speaking of other old news, and I'm kind of skipping over, but, uh, you know, because the old news was actually the big bopper thing, the Captain America thing, totally new news. Uh, Pope Benedict was opposed to Bob Dylan appearing at a youth event with the late Pope John Paul in 1997 because he considered the pop star the wrong kind of prophet. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, uh, the new Pope, Benedict, who used to be Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, um, and that's who he was at the time of the concert in Bologna, Italy. And uh, he has put out a book of memoirs about his predecessor, who died in 2005. It says, there was a reason to be skeptical. I was, and in a certain sense, I still am. 
uh, to doubt if it was right to let these types of prophets intervene, uh, he writes, only mentioning Dylan among the stars who appeared. And so this was a concert in 1997, and... Uh, he sang three songs before the Pope at a, as a part of a concert that considered a number of other mostly Italian artists. Uh, he sang Knocking on Heaven's Door, A Hard Rain's Gonna Fall, and Forever Young. In his new book, uh, Pope Benedict does not explain why he does not like Bob Dylan or why he considers him a false prophet. Eh, you know. An older generation, I guess. So, what did well at the box office last uh, last week? Well, in the top five, we had the number 23 taken in $6.5 million for a total of $24.1 million. Bridge to Terabithia came in uh, number four with $8.9 million, bringing it to $58.2 million. Ghost Rider pulled in another $11.6 million, bringing the total gross to $94.8 million. That bodes well for some comic book movies right there. Uh, Zodiac pulled in $13.4 million on its opening weekend, and Wild Hogs, $39.7 million. You people should all be ashamed of yourselves course none of you listening to the show went and see it went to see it right i mean city slickers with motorcycles seriously all right what's starting this week and if we can just wait for my web browser to catch up with me come on come on crunch it up Betsy, crunch it up Okay, so starting uh, this weekend, we have The Ultimate Gift opening in 800 theaters. This is starring Drew Fuller, James Garner, and Abigail Breslin, fresh off her Oscar nomination for uh, Little Miss Sunshine. And a more manipulative film you've pro- possibly never seen. Uh, director Michael O'Sabel uh, was partially responsible for putting faith-based films on the map last year with his trailblazing One Night with the King. Proving that he can assemble yet another fine cast, he dangles Abigail Breslin, whose character is suffering with cancer, in front of audiences right as her Oscar buzz is peaking. Yeah, so, uh, you know, this, this is going to be fairly manipulative. If you're uh, not into those uh, ch- children in peril movies or in, in illness movies, you want to steer clear of this one. Uh, the Host, on, in opening only in only limited release, 75 theaters, uh, from uh, director Jun Ho Bong. Uh, U.S. military negligence leads to the creation of a mutant beast living in Seoul's Han River. As the city scrambles to defend itself against a surface-bound monster, scientists learn that it has become the carrier of a deadly new virus. So it's like Godzilla with a virus. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Uh, anyway, uh, moving on. The 300 opens wide this week. Uh, Zack Snyder's film starring Gerard Butler, Lena Headey, and David Wenham, of course based on the Frank Miller graphic novel from about 10 years ago. Uh, it's a very hyper-violent, very stylized take on his uh, graphic novel, much in the way that Sin City was a take on Miller's uh, Sin City. Um, so back in 480 BC, Spartan King Leonidas played by Gerard Butler, leads 300 of his warriors into battle with the Persian army who are bent on conquering Greece. So, as I said, hyper-violent and very stylized, and uh, people are really looking at this as, uh, as, as a real fanboy masterpiece. And, uh, of course, this is the guy who dared to update the Dawn of the Dead, and now he's doing the 300, and if this one does well, it looks likely that there will be a green light for the Watchmen. I'll, of course, believe it when I see it. Also coming out, uh, Cal Penn and Irfan Khan star in Mira Nair's The Namesake. As Gogol, Penn, uh, played by uh, Cal Penn, who you remember for Harold and Kumar, Go to White Castle, uh, struggles to find a balance between his life in New York and his Indian heritage. His father decides to tell him how his name was tied to his family's journey from Calcutta to America. 
So there, there we have it. This is uh, Miranair, who uh, previously directed Vanity Fair, and um, this one was supposed to come out in October, but they took it. Uh, Fox Searchlight took it off the calendar so that they could focus on on the Oscar pro- prospects that they had. Also coming out, Maxed Out, Hard Times, Easy Credit, and the Era of Predatory Lenders. This is going to be in six uh, theaters. I'm not sure which six, but uh, it's certainly a limited release. This is a documentary on the credit lending industry's barbed relationship with the American public. And uh, really looking at the at the fact that um, the desire for wealth and privilege often gets uh, set up with uh, – or often gets taken advantage of with uh, companies just – Really looking to uh, to get all sorts of uh, of interest coming in. So that is what's coming out uh, this week. Um, me, I'm gonna go see Zodiac. Uh, I haven't seen it yet. Big fan of the Zodiac case. Big fan of David Fincher films. I'd love to see uh, the 300, and probably will. I, I, it's just that, uh, <laughs> and 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 this is me saying because you remember I did my top five date movies once, top five bad date movies, and um, and and tonight. We're going out, and we're going to go see Zodiac. Maybe not the best choice, but not nearly as bloody as the 300. So already I win. See? Smart. Smart thinking. That's what it's all about. Other stuff that's going on. Well, uh, The Departed has cashed in on its Oscar win. Uh, the Oscar gave The Departed a big boost at the video store last week. And, of course, it won uh, Best Picture for 2006 and also Best Director for Martin Scorsese. About time. And uh, also took the top spot in the Nielsen Video Scan First Alert sales chart. It bumped the previous week's winner, which was uh, flushed away from Paramount DreamWorks, to second place. Uh, the Departed did not, however, hold sway among video renters. They all really loved the Will Ferrell Jack Black production number on the Oscars and went and rented Stranger Than Fiction, which got the first spot on Home Media Retail's magazine, uh, Home Media Retail Magazine's rental chart, with an estimated 6.8 million dollars, edging out The Departed 6.2 million dollars so it looks like it pays off to get the little gold statue also going on the product red campaign uh, there's been a financial assessment that uh, basically claims that the organization has spent more on marketing than raising funds um and uh, of course uh, this is a a, a, a charity campaign spearheaded by Bono of U2, and uh, it really is set up to raise money for the Global Fund to fight AIDS in Africa by selling red products such as iPods, clothing, and mobile phones. Advertising Age reported that the campaign raised a meager $18 million despite a marketing outlay by Gap, Apple, and Motorola, which has been enormous, with some estimates as high as $100 million. A source close to the campaign slams the report telling the New York Daily News, first of all, Red didn't launch products until mid-October, and they raised $25 million. Before that, the fund had taken in about $5 million over a four-year period. So there you have it. Anyway, that's all the time we got for today. Uh, comments, as always, are welcome at poptopiapodcast at gmail.com. Send us a voice comment if you get a chance. And that's it. Have a fantastic week.